Social distancing is a term that we've all been hearing a lot of the last couple of weeks. Its effect has affected each and every one of us differently. At your workplace, at home, with your friends and family. Basically it means that you have to be separated from each other, from the people that you care about, from things that you normally do, from restaurants, from uh, activities, from events, everything that we normally do. Social distancing is, it is in its essence, it's separation. Separation is exactly uh, what we're going to be talking about today in Genesis chapter 3. The fact that man has been separated from God. As much as social dis distancing has caused us to be separate, we have to understand that there's no contrast, there's no comparison between the, the distance that is between God and sin and us and COVID-19. You and I have experienced things, but we also need to understand that the Bible tells us that man is completely separate from God because of sin. And we need to, to bridge that gap somehow. Genesis chapter 3 tells us of how we, we became separated. How did this come to be? And the context of this is a really perfect place, a perfect environment. We understand this to be the Garden of Eden, the place where, where God spoke into existence mankind. He spoke into existence the Garden of Eden. And we see, even in chapter 2, leading up to this, to this great story. Chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord made, a, made, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. See, it created this place. And then it dropped down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For the day you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Drop down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs that the Lord God had taken from Adam and made him made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is last, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman before she was taken out of man. Within the context here, we have characters. We have people. We have people interacting. We have, first of all, God. Think of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Elohim, creator, God, who cares for his creation. And Adam and Eve, from their perspective, they're seeing this God as a caretaker, a lover of them, one who, who wants the best for them, who creates this environment of perfection. Also with purpose. The purpose in verse uh, 15 through 17, the Lord God put him in the garden to work it, to keep it. He commanded them that they should not eat of the trees of the garden except the one that they shouldn't eat of, the knowledge of good and evil. There's a, a specific tree they should not eat of. So we have God, the personal creator, and we also have Adam and Eve, their perfect creation. The one that God had, had formed to bring him glory. To show the majesty of his creation, the, the intricacies of his, his knowledge about them. He wanted them to display the glory of God back to him. And there was this perfect relationship with each other. But unfortunately, there's also another character. 
and that is the serpent, the deceiver. Now the serpent, in chapter 3, verse 1, was more crafty than the other beast of the field Lord God had made. The serpent, we understand to be Satan, fallen Lucifer, the angel Lucifer from Ezekiel chapter 28 and Hebrews and Isaiah chapter 14, the one who had formed a rebellion against God, the one who had claimed to be greater than God, had fallen and cast down. This serpent was more crafty, more deceitful than the other beasts of the field. He's basically saying that he's a liar. He's not telling the truth. It's within this context of the perfect Garden of Eden that we find these characters interacting. And today we're going to see the context for this story in the Garden of Eden, the perfection that is the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and God, contrasted with these conversations that deal with the conversion from mankind in perfect relationship with God to mankind separated from God. We're going to see the conversations. We're also going to see the consequences. The consequences of this sin. And we experience these consequences today. But to us, they're different. Think about Adam and Eve and their situation. They, they were born out of the ground not knowing what sin was. Not knowing what a non-perfect relationship was. All they knew was God. All they knew was perfect love for their Creator. They didn't know shame, they didn't know guilt, they didn't know the pain of losing a loved one until sin had come into the world. They didn't know these things, they didn't know the separation. And they will be lied to, and we'll see the consequences for that as we continue. The first conversation we're going to look at today is between the serpent and Eve. The serpent, the deceiving serpent contrasted with Eve, God's perfect creation. And we're going to see this in the first seven verses of chapter 3. And we're begin here in verse 1. The serpent said, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? I want to begin here because this, this is just planting a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. This is, is the serpent telling Eve, did, did God really do that? Is that really true? Is God really being truthful with you? Is God truthful? John 17, 17 says God's word is truth. That God is truth. That God, he speaks the truth. We understand that this is a lie from Satan. We understand that, that he's just beginning here because he wants Eve to, to guess, to second guess God. He wants, to, wants Eve to think through Maybe God isn't telling the truth. Maybe God has been lying to me. And Eve responds here in verse 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It's interesting here. Eve understands exactly what God expects of her. Eve understands exactly what she should be doing. And she quotes it back to the serpent, like the serpent should acknowledge this as truth. And what happens here is that the, the, the serpent just continues to deceive, he continues to lie. 
you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Another lie. You will not surely die. This is Satan just blatantly lying to her about the truth that sin brings death. And the reality is that Satan's still doing this today. Satan wants to convince people that the consequences of their sin, of the actions that are fun, that are temporary, that don't last, they're totally worth it. Because all that there is, is this life. Because all that there is, is this temporary pleasure. But the reality is that it brings forth death. It brings forth consequences. The serpent's lie here is that God will not kill them. That God does not want them to, that God does not want them to eat of the tree, not because he cares for them, but because he doesn't want them to be like him. He's portraying God as a selfish being here. Which is actually ironic in comparison to Isaiah 14, when you read about how Lucifer actually fell. How are you fallen from heaven, O star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground? You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars, and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain in my assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the mighty host. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. You see, Satan's goal, his mission, is to recruit people to joining him in this rebellion towards God. This outright war against God. Because he was in war with God to begin with. Satan's lies led to Eve being deceived and being transformed forever by sin. Adam and Eve's sin, here in verse 6 and 7, are, show the glaring contrast between their perfection that they formerly had. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was light to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. When the eyes, were, and when the eyes of both were opened, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's power in this temptation. There's power in the serpent's deception here. And I want to starkly contrast this here. I want to show you uh, just how similar this is to the temptation that you and I face every day. Look at the, ver the words here. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and then contrast this with John 1, where it says, the desires of the flesh, or the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it says the tree was good to be desired to make one wise. And then we talk about the pride of life, the pride of wanting to be greater. The desire to, to be the best. To have more. The lust of the eyes. It was a delight to the eyes. It looked good. It looked great. It looked pleasurable. It looked like something to be obtained. This is something that we face every day. See, sin is not something that 
that always just looks like this, this, this disgusting, gross thing. Sometimes it's desirable. Sometimes we see it as something, this, this could be pleasurable. But when we see it in light of what Scripture says, we have a different perspective. We have a different view of what sin is. These, sin, these same temptations are in our lives today. Satan seeks to destroy us. I think of Ephesians chapter 6 when we read of the armor of God, we're supposed to be standing against the devil in prayer united around the word of God. And we are to be combating these uh, the, the, in this warfare. And we find that this act of sin in verse 6 is the beginning. It's just the beginning of sin in this world. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. They knew God's commandment. In fact, Eve had already told the serpent these things. She quoted God back to the serpent. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband, and he ate. They willingly and knowingly sinned against God. And how do they respond to this? Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. One commentator said this about this verse. The serpent's promise of the eyes being opened came true in a different fashion. But it was a grotesque anticlimax of the dream of enlightenment. Man saw the familiar world and spoiled it with seeing projecting evil on its innocence and reacting to good with shame and flight. Man's consciousness had become defiled in an act of rebellion towards God. They understood evil because they experienced it, an act of evil. And now they had been corrupted by that sin. And we see that this act would begin a great saga, if you will, of sin affecting men and women from generation to generation to generation. In a sin nature that, that bends us toward sin. Bends us toward rebellion. That bends us toward our own desires. And we desire things that are not good for us. Eve looked at the tree and she desired it. And this act of rebellion, this act of sin, is something that we have to look at ourselves with as well. We have to see, I've sinned. Don't just look at Eve and Adam and say, man, they're the worst. They're the one that got us in this problem. No, you are just as dark and evil. You desire things. You choose to sin all the time, knowing, knowing that God abhors it. And yet God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We understand this to be true. We understand that this act of rebellion is the beginning of this great saga of sin on this planet. The second conversation we're going to talk about here is between God and Adam and Eve. What's happened so far is that Adam and Eve have been tempted and they have fallen into this trap and they have committed this crime, they have eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now they have hidden themselves from 
God. And that statement sounds weird because it's impossible. You cannot hide from a God that's all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign being. He is the one that made you. And you can't hide from this one. But they, they, they hide from him and they, they, they seek refuge in the garden. And they hear the voice of God in the garden. And, and we, we see this confrontation here that, that unfolds really dramatically, actually. Look at verse 8 with me, verses 8 through 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Note that they had heard the sound of the Lord walking. Not, not the voice, but they, they just they sensed that God was there. They heard it. And they, they, for them, this must have been very different than we would ever experience. Because they had this perfect fellowship, this perfect communion with God. They were used to having this open conversation, dialogue with their Creator. Because they understood their, their, their responsibility to God. They understood what God had given them. They understood everything that God was because they were perfect in that relationship with God. All they knew was love until this moment when they realized they're in sin, this crisis. And they see, I have violated the law that God has given me. I violated it. And they try to hide because they're, they're in shame. And the man, in verse, verse 8 again, he says, And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And I can just see, I can imagine how God is just trying to, to give them the, the grace, the ability to confess before them, to cry out before God, say, God, I've committed this great sin against you. Please forgive us and restore us. But they do not do that. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Again, another opportunity to confess. And they do not. And he said, the man said in verse 12, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. We see the first blame shift here. Adam is looking at God. And he's saying, this is Eve's fault. This woman that you made for me to be a helper for me, she is the one who gave me the fruit and I ate of it. But Adam knows. Adam understands that just in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, verse 15, do not eat of this, this, the fruit of this tree. The direct commandment from God. He understands this. He, he knows this to be true. And yet he chooses to, to, to blame shift. And Eve does the same thing. And the woman, and verse 13, The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. What I find interesting about this is, she says the serpent deceives her, but she is quoting God back to the serpent. She knows exactly what God expects. She quoted God back to the serpent. And yet she's claiming that, He deceived me. 
and yet you knowingly read back, or you told, you told the serpent, this is what God said, not to do this. And yet now you're claiming, I was deceived. You knew who God was. You knew exactly what he expected. And before we try to pretend like we are righteous here, we need to understand that we fall for this all the time. How many times have you read this book? How many times have I read the Bible and seen a passage and said, Don't do this. Do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And do these things to the best of your ability because God, God wants us to do things that we don't do all the time. We know them to be true. And Eve here is, is blaming the, the snake, the serpent, for something that she has done. She has sinned against her God. Sin is against God. Psalm 54, when David is, is repenting before God, he says, My sin is ever before thee, and thee only have I sinned. He, understand, he understood that God is the one who is offended by the sin. It's because God is so perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. God is the, the creator being, the, the divine one. He is the one that sin is against. God is the one who has been sinned against here. Mankind has sinned against the very God that created him. Adam and Eve had this outward rebellion towards God. When they heard the sound of God in the garden, they, they understood what they had done. And this conversation would have been the most difficult conversation they have ever, ever experienced. Because they had broken communion with the one who had gave them everything. And this break... This distance, this chasm that is experienced here must have felt like the biggest drop of shame that they've ever experienced. Because they knew. They understood. This is what I've done before God. And as we see the, the action unfolding here in the conversations, we also understand that there are consequences. So next what we will do is we'll look at the exact consequences that God gives to these people and to the earth that he created as well. The consequences for sin must exist because God is holy and God is righteous and God cannot have sin in his presence. If you look at the book of Revelation, you see that God will someday cast sin and death into the lake of fire for all of eternity. The greatest chasm, the greatest distance, the greatest gap, because he is so perfect and holy. And this is the God, this is the one who they're talking to. The one that has this justice in mind, but also the love for Adam and Eve. And we will see that not only does God's consequences have justice, but it has love. And now we'll see the consequences. The consequences of Adam and Eve's actions. I mentioned that we'll see the justice and love of the consequences. God's justice is apparent here and the consequences here, but also the fact that he will fulfill his promises. We have promises made to us in scriptures. We have promises even made in this passage that are given to us that are yet to be fulfilled but are promised and sure and guaranteed and sealed 
for us today. We have promises made that one day we will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. And one day that we will eternally exist in a place of, of glory with Him. Because we have these promises, we are not without hope. We have the hope of an eternal life. And Adam and Eve, when they're experiencing these consequences, keep in mind they don't know what it's going to look like. Because God could just snap his fingers and say, you will no longer exist. Count the grace of God. Count the love of God in giving them hope, in giving them a future, in giving the world and the future of mankind a future of hope and glory. Let's get into it. Verse 14 and 15, we will start with the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat, of all, eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This verse is very special. It contains the promise of the serpent, of Satan's head being bruised and crushed. This prophecy is fulfilled, will be, is, will be fulfilled and will be realized in the end times when Satan's, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation 20.10. Our victory is secured in Christ, as secure as today is, as secure as our promises in Jesus Christ are, as secure as every promise that Jesus Christ would come as a man, as that he would live a sinless life, that he would die on a cross, that he would be the propitiation for our sins. As secure as those promises are, this promise is real. Our victory in Christ is secured because the battle of our eternal destiny has already been won. You can hold hope. You can be confident because this promise is real. And Adam and Eve, I imagine they're just... They're, they're sitting back just in reverence of, in awe of God. I think of Job in later chapters when, he's, when God is just revealing himself to Job and he's saying, oh my goodness. And Adam and Eve are, are saying, man, I should just be nothing. I should be dead. I should not exist. And God gives hope. He gives an eternal future. A hope. And they're not sure exactly what this looks like yet, but... We know that as God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and through his scriptures that we understand our hope is in an eternal destiny, in glory, in heaven. That has been detailed for us in Revelations, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in these things that have been given to us. There is hope. And secondly, the consequences for the woman, for Eve, to the woman he said, I will surely put, multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. From this point forward, pregnancy would be a painful experience. Eve would now desire to have leadership over Adam. And this is contrary to the perfect design of the, what the family economy was supposed to look like. Eve would now desire things that would be sinful. And we see that her new bent towards sin would not be just sticking to that generation. It would be long-lasting. 
Her bent towards sin would pass on to the next generation. Her bent towards sin would be to desire things that are not desirable in a godly economy. Verse 17 through 19, the consequences for mankind, for man. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, that you should not eat of it, cursed is the ground of of cursed, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground of it. For out of the ground you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. See, now this ground that Adam was so much a part of cultivating and, and, and reaping the harvest that God had naturally given to him would now become full of thorns and thistles, and it would be hard and difficult. Not to say that there was no work before this happened, but that it would become increasingly more difficult. It would be something that would be challenging, and he would sweat, and he would be experiencing pain because of his desire to provide for his family. And the greatest here, the greatest consequence under this section, would be death. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. For Adam, I would imagine that this would be just a breathtaking sentence to hear. Because they would have no concept of what this looks like. There's nothing to compare this to for them. They don't know what this is like. Imagine a, a child, maybe five or six, who is first able to fully understand. Well, that person's not here anymore. We've all experienced death. We live in a sin-cursed world, and we grew up in this world, so we understand this. But to Adam and Eve, all they knew was life. All they knew was the joy of knowing their God. And now, even just one generation later, they would have, Adam and Eve would have to experience Cain, their son, killing Abel, their son. Imagine that heartache. And we see that the people that were designed to have perfect bliss and relationship with God would now experience the greatest pain of being separated from the people that they care about. This would be hard for them to understand, hard for them to really grasp until years later, or months later, as, as they see things around them perish, as they see themselves begin to slowly diminish physically and ultimately in the picture of their son, Abel being killed and murdered. There are broader consequences here. Verses 20 and 21, the man called his wife Adam, and the man called his, called his, his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam, made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Eve here is named the mother of all living people. The Lord sacrificed an animal, a blood-covered animal, to cover the shame and iniquity of their sin. This begins a pattern of animal sacrifices and, 
and atoning coverages of their sins throughout the Old Testament until a once-for-all sacrifice would come in the Jesus Christ. We understand this to be true, that Jesus Christ is our once-for-all sacrifice for all the sins of the world, of all times, of all people. There is now separation between God and man. Verse 22 through 24, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man was like the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest we reach out his hand and take of the tree and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man to the east of the garden of Eden and placed a cherubim with a flaming sword. He turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. They had become separated from this environment designed for them. They become separated from this immortality. They become separated from this perfect relationship with God. They become separated. And the pain that they would experience is something that would be completely new to them. There's no former generations telling them what it would be like. There's no one relating to them. It's them experiencing this for the first time. This historical account in Genesis chapter 3 is where, is where we find that men have become separated from God. And as God is holy, he cannot have sin in his sight. This event defines the underlying problem of all humanity, sin. Sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I began this sermon by talking about separation due to COVID-19. Businesses and sporting events and any other event that you possibly would have to cancel. There's nothing compared to this chasm, this separation that, we've ex that men experience from God. And God has from sin. See, God cannot see sin. God cannot experience sin. God cannot have sin in his sight, and men chose to sin, thus separating them from God. To get a picture of this separation, I would, I would like to read the account of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, when the dogs came and licked his sores, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip a finger Dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime receive your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, a great divide, a great distance has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here 
would not be able to cross. In this picture, this, this idea we have that there is a chasm between sin and God. When those who are put to judgment, when you die, it, without, if, if someone dies without Christ and they are put in judgment, they're separated from God and they're in, in eternal torment from God, there is no distance comprehensible enough to compare to the distance between God and the man that has sinned against him. And hell separates men from God. The people around us that, that don't understand Jesus Christ, that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that aren't in a personal walk with the Creator of the universe, if they don't know Him as their personal Lord and Savior, they will be separated from God for eternity. This sin has caused a great chasm between believer, between unbelievers and God. But just as there is bad news, there is good news. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin in, came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. It's talking about God sovereignly and divinely, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins, giving us hope for our eternal future. We don't have to be separated from God and reconciled instead. We can be reconciled back to God. We can be brought near to God, which is our hope. On the, in the short term, practically, you and I hope to have reconciliation back with our normal lifestyles, our normal uh, our normal activities from apart from COVID-19, but on a grander scale, on a much more important scale, on the only scale that actually matters, we can be reconciled to God. And that your neighbors and your friends can be reconciled to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10 says, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more, now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You and I have a gospel of hope. You and I have a gospel of change. A gospel that closes this gap between man and God. The problem that exists because the Garden of Eden's events today, we understand that can't, they, they, they can be solved if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins, please do that today. Read John 3.16, read Romans 3.23, Romans 5.1, 5, Romans 6.23, Romans 8.1. Just go through the book of Romans and see the transforming power of God's word and God's love in your life. 
For while we were yet well, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son, sending your Son to fulfill the promise that we've read about here today, that you would crush the serpent's head, that you would deliver us from this sin, this darkness, this sin nature that so easily bends us towards sin. God, we know that sin has consequences, and sin is real, but God, so are you. And so is your Son, so is Jesus Christ. I pray that we would share that message of hope with those around us. That we would share that message of the gospel with those around us because we love them and care about them and believe this to be true. In your Son's name, amen.